Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. So today we're going to continue with this series of the Beatitudes. So the word of the year is the way. And the series we've been going through are the Beatitudes of Jesus. And before we get into today's message, uh, there's a story that I feel like really aligns with uh, what we're going to talk about today. Right? So I'm going to share this story. I'm going to name it the violent prayer. Actually, forgive me. That's probably misleading. There's, there's some violence going on and there's prayer going on. I don't know if it's a violent prayer, but you'll get my point once I tell the story. So some years back, many years ago, I was actually on a trip with a few people. And we go on this trip and someone that's with us in this trip um, ended up having like a really heated argument got really upset to the point where he started to get violent. So that's where the violence comes in. He started to get violent. Um, he wasn't violent towards other people, uh, but that was the concern. We were concerned that he might get violent towards other people. That was sort of like the next step. He was like punching things and breaking things. Um, and we were out in the street. We were out in public. We weren't somewhere where we can just go right into the house or anything and try to isolate it. We were right in public in the middle of uh, a lot of people. Um, so it was hard to contain for a few reasons. Number one, he was like a relatively bigger guy. He wasn't a small guy. So there was power coupled with that anger. But on top of that, you know, like when you're angry, you get this Hulk energy, this Hulk strength that you don't normally have when you're calm. So he was obviously, you know, really upset and had a lot of strength going on at the same moment. The other reason why it was hard to contain him is because if you approached him, there was a good chance of him getting violent with you. And that's the very thing we wanted to avoid, right? Like, we didn't want to have a situation where he's now getting violent with people. So I don't, I don't really know how this happened. I don't re- remember this part perfectly. But somehow, God put it in my heart to pray for this person. And God knew what he was doing, right? He knew what he was doing because it happened, like, right away. Like, if God would have given me any time to think about it, I'm pretty sure I would have tried to convince myself to not do it. But right away, as soon as like he put it in my heart, I walk up to him. I put my hand on his chest and I start praying. I just, I just start praying right away. And I think it threw him off so much. Like it really diffused the situation, completely diffused it. I don't know if it was like me putting my hand on his, on his chest and then just having that physical touch, right? That, that kind of threw him off. And his immediate reaction was to step back and his body soft. And he was like, whoa, like that was the exact reaction. I remember that part so perfectly. He backed up and said, whoa. And there might have been some expletives in the middle of that, too, that I'm not going to share. But it, it might have been the physical touch. Or maybe it was the prayer, like hearing me pray, like hearing the words. Maybe that, you know, kind of knocked some senses into him and made him realize, oh, you know what, maybe I need to calm down. Like, maybe I'm, I'm going over the top with this situation. So maybe it was the actual prayer itself. Or maybe it was just like the Holy Spirit taking over the situation and doing something spiritually that we couldn't see physically. Like, I know the Holy Spirit was there. You know, even putting, prompting in my heart to pray for him in that situation. Or maybe he was just thrown off by everything so much that, you know, it calmed him down. But whatever the case may be, it, it diffused the situation. Um, and he went from like a level 10 down to like a level 5, which, you know, is not perfect. Level 5, you can still go either way. But it was low enough where we were able to get in the car. Everybody got in the car. 
And we drove out before things got more, you know, crazy. It actually calmed everything down. So I thought of that story when reading the verse for today. As I mentioned, we were going th- we've been going through uh, Matthew 5, which records Jesus' Beatitudes that he shares in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to get into Matthew 5, verse 9. So let me read it so you can hear how it connects. And then we'll kind of like unfold what Jesus is saying here. So Matthew 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will be called children of God. I'll read that one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will be called children of God. So going back to the story for a moment, the moral of the story is not to lay hands on someone when they're being violent. Like, that's not the message I'm trying to send out. You know, that was a very specific situation. It was 100% prompted by God. In most cases, I would never do that. In most cases, you would never have to do that. God will not tell you to do that. So please don't go home thinking, Joel says, whenever you see violence, put your hands on someone. That's not the case. You know, if some of you are like, I'm ready. I'm ready to put my hands on someone because you wanted to turn into violence. I know you. I see you. In many cases, you won't do anything like that. Of course, prayer is always possible, right? Like you can always pray. You can pray from a distance. You can put your hand out. That's fine too. You know, but it's not like you have to physically put your hands on the person. That's not always called for. Um, and sometimes it could be something totally different that you do to intervene. There's so many different things you might do to intervene and help in a situation. There are other ways that that can happen, depends on, depending on what's going on. Then there are other times where, you know, you'll be in situations in life where making peace in a situation is completely out of your hands. There'll be other situations where there's really nothing you can do. It's not in your hands. You know, God doesn't expect us to make every situation peaceful because he knows that it's not in our hands all the time. You know, the scripture says it in Romans 12, verse 18. He says, um, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Like our job as believers is to live in peace as far as it depends on us. But a lot of times it doesn't depend on us, right? We don't control every situation. We don't control how other people behave or what other people are doing as much as you might want to be able to control that we don't. What we can control are our actions. We can control our words, the things we do, our acts of kindness. We can control our own thoughts. Everything that's within you, your own prayers, those are the things that you can't control. But we can't control what other people are doing as much as you might want to. So going back to Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus is saying something significant. What he's saying is a child of God is a peacemaker. A child of God is a peacemaker. It's not the other way around, right? Like you don't first become a peacemaker and then that makes you a child of God. No, a child of God, right, comes first. And by being a child of God, peace comes with it. In other words, once you're a child of God, it becomes a part of your nature, to create peace. It becomes a part of your duty to create peace. It becomes a part of your calling to create peace. It becomes a part of your responsibility to create peace as much as you can, wherever you are. So this is a a great heart check. It's one that we're going to explore throughout the message, but I'd I'd like to initially ask it now. And here's a question, ready? Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? A few clarifying questions. Ready? Do you promote peace? All right. This is the biggie. Ready? Do you promote peace? Ready? This is the biggie. The biggie is this. 
I don't, I don't want to mess it up. Do situations end up more peaceful when you enter or when you leave? Like that, that's, that's it. That's the clarifying question right there. Do situations end up more peaceful when you enter the situation or when you leave the situation? That's the easiest way to kind of sum that up. And you know if that's you or not, like in which way, which way you kind of roll. You know, so I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to turn to someone next to you. If you have somebody next to you that kind of knows you, I want you to ask them. Am I a peacemaker? I, I got look, I see some eyes already like, Joel, you're going to be in trouble. I'll give you 15 seconds, short and sweet. Am I a peacemaker? Just ask the person next to you. I've already seen some positive reactions. See, look at that. Okay, we're good. We're good here. <laughs> Based on some of the responses I've heard, I can already tell who the peacemaker is. It's funny, like... <laughs> I can already, I heard someone say, absolutely. That's the peacemaker, whoever said that. That was the peacemaker. All right. So if you spent most of that time trying to convince someone that you're a peacemaker, you know, you might have to work on your peacemaking. If this turns into an extended argument after service because someone told you you're not a peacemaker, so now you're trying to convince them, you know, you might have to work on your peacemaking. So I'm just, just letting you know, just a heads up. But in reality, the truth is, this is something we can all grow in. Like, this is something we all need to grow in. This isn't just one person or another person. It's everyone. Um, you know, I, I plan on saying this later, but I feel like we, rep- we resemble Christ the most when we bring peace into a situation. You know, I think we, I mean, that's what he, that's what he did. <laughs> I think we, we resemble Christ the most when we bring peace into a situation. So this is something that we can all grow in, especially as we dig deeper and learn of what Jesus is saying in this verse. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When I read this, I wonder, what does the Bible say about peace? And it turns out the Bible says a whole lot about peace. It really talks about it a whole lot, such as it talks about peace within yourself, peace with others, peace with the world, and Peace with God. See, we can use the word harmony as a synonym for this word peace. So I'm going to say that again, but replacing peace with harmony. Harmony within yourself. Harmony with others. Harmony with the world. And harmony with God. In other words, to have peace is to have calmness, to have uh, tranquility. That's the word we use more in Spanish, actually. What's that word in Spanish? Tranquilidad. We use that. It's really common in Spanish. Uh, tranquility. It also relates to the word security. So, you know, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, it's like he's saying, blessed are those that create peace, create harmony, create calmness, create tranquilidad, tranquility. Blessed are those that create security. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you feel like that describes you? Here's a better question. Does that describe us as the body of Christ? Does that uh, describe us as believers? Are we peacemakers as the body of Christ? As I mentioned earlier, the Bible talks about different kinds of peace. And I want to explore that a little bit because it's worth learning what scripture says about each one. And then see how it connects to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 verse 9. See, Jesus tells us to be peacemakers. So in order to make peace, let's look at what that actually looks like itself. So looking at the first one, peace within yourself, you know, I know you know this life has a natural way of making you feel like anxious. It has a natural way of, you know, making you feel nervous. Every day comes with its own amount of concerns and worries and stress. 
one of our daily challenges is submitting those things into the hands of God. Like every single day, that's a, that's a thing that you have to commit to every single day. It's not just like today I'm going to commit tomorrow's work. That doesn't work that way. Every single day, one of your struggles is always going to be, am I going to commit my worries and my concerns and my stresses into the hands of God? Am I going to do that? So let's listen to what Philippians actually says in chapter four. Uh, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God. I love this part. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, in this uh, scripture, Paul is telling us that God offers a peace that can like, pretty much comfort your heart and your mind. It's a peace that can comfort your heart and your mind. It's an inner peace that we can receive from God. And it's, it's counterintuitive, really, because what we would think naturally is the more I understand something, the more peace I can have. Like, if, I, if only I understood what my boss thought of me, I'd have more peace, right? Or if only I knew uh, when, you know, the interest rates were going to drop, maybe I'd have more peace. If only I knew dot, 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 I'd have more peace. And you can fill those dots up with whatever you want. It can be related to your job. It can be related to your spouse. It can be related to your kids. It can be related to your coworkers, your neighbors, whatever the case may be. We think if I know more, I can have more peace. But what God is telling us here through Philippians is actually something counterintuitive. If what Paul is teaching us is that God's peace surpasses understanding. It's greater than, you know, it's a greater peace. It's greater than just knowing. It's actually the opposite. If you need to know something to have peace, what you're really saying is you need control. I want control, right? But what God is teaching us here is we need to relinquish control. We need to let go. You need to put those things in God's hands, give up the control, and that's when you can actually have peace. Because you're saying, God, I don't know, but I know you know, so I'm going to trust you to handle it. And now I know I'm going to have peace because it's in your hands. The opposite is what we naturally think of doing is I want to control it. So that means if I'm controlling it, I need to know because I don't know. So I need to know, and then I can have peace. But what we're learning here is true inner peace can only come when you relinquish it, when you release control. You put it in God's hands and let him handle it. And then you can have some real peace. That's the only way to have real peace, when you put it in God's hands. So, you know, and, and it's a false reality to think that we can have control. We can't control what our boss's thoughts are. We can't control when the, the housing market is going to change, you know, when interest rates are going to drop. We can't control what you, listen, you can't control what your kids are going to do. I'm learning this the hard way. You can't control what your kids are going to do, right? Your kids are their own people. You can guide them and you can build them up. But listen to me. I, I know you know this because I'm learning this and they're young still. You need to trust God to have, have them in their hands, have, have them in his hands. He's the one that's going to guide them, and he's the one that's going to protect them. You can't control them. So if you want peace with, you know, your parenting, you need to trust God. Like, if anybody needs to trust God, their parents, especially in this world. Like, if you need to trust, if you're a parent, you need to trust God, I promise you. Because that's the only way. If not, you're not going to have even a little bit of peace. God promises that we can have inner peace when we submit everything into his hands. The second kind of peace is peace with others. 
We all know that you can't control other people. Who still thinks they can control other people? Raise your hand. Who, who tries to control other people? I'm going to catch you. Somebody raise their hand. There you go. One person raised their hand. I caught you. <laughs> I know where you are with your peacemaking. We all know that we can't control other people. You can't control their actions, their words, their thoughts, their habits, their opinions. As much as you think you can or you'd like to, you can't. You can only control your own, right? The book of Hebrews reminds us that we're responsible for ourselves. So Hebrews 12, verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This sounds a lot really similar to Romans 12, verse 18 that we read earlier. Like living in peace as far as it depends on you. But there's something here that I really love. That's, that, that, it's like a secret that tells us that God is telling us there. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, I'm sure we've all had experiences of being treated unfairly. Like, you can't live life without feeling that. You know, everyone's felt that before, right? Someone said something that was uncalled for. Someone did something that was uncalled for. Like, that, that just happens. I can't tell you how many times it happened to me just this week. Like, <laughs> that happens all the time. I get that. I don't think there's, there's only one way to respond to a situation, though. Sometimes the situation might call for you to speak up, right? Sometimes it calls for that. Other times, it, you know, it doesn't call for that. Other times, it's better to just walk away. It all depends on what the situation is. However, there is something true that, that, that is consistent in all situations. Whether it's a situation where you need to speak up and do, or, or say something or even do something, or whether it's a situation where you need to walk away, there's one thing that's true that we just read in, what was that, Hebrews? I forget now, I'm sorry. In Hebrews... There's one thing that we just read that's, that's true, that remains in all situations that God expects of us. Ready? We have to remain holy. No matter the situation, no matter how unfairly you might feel like you're being treated, no matter whatever's going on in that situation, no matter what they said or what they did or what happened when you weren't there or when you were there, even worse, no matter what it is, you don't have the right to be unholy. If you call yourself a child of God, you don't have the right to be unholy. To, to, to have the right to be unholy is like saying, I have the right to sin. And you don't. And we don't. We don't have the right to sin in order to justify ourselves. We don't have the right to sin to stand up for ourselves. We don't have, like, you can't sin to create peace. That doesn't work that way. So when I read this scripture, like, that's the part that I love because it's a reminder that even though I'm supposed to create peace, I can't force my way into peace by doing something unholy. That's like the check. That's the, that's, the, that's the parameter that we need as children of God. I don't care if you're doing something unholy. I'm not going to match that just to try, try to create peace in this situation. I can't match that because it's not going to make real peace anyway. It's just going to justify me somehow. It's going to fulfill, it's going to fill up my pride, but it's not going to glorify God. It's not going to actually bring peace into this situation at all. So, you know, that's just a great reminder. Um, we have to be careful that in defending our rights, we don't ignore our responsibilities. We have to be careful that in defending our rights, we're not, you know, bringing shame, let's say, to God. We have to remember that our job is to represent him no matter what. And the warning in this scripture, I think, is strong enough in itself. Without holiness... No one will see the Lord. The third kind of peace is peace with the world. 
And Jesus speaks of this in a couple, a couple different verses I'd like to share in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. And he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Like that, that's already pretty clear. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So he's pretty clear with where we are with peace with the world. <laughs> you have peace with the world if you're of the world. Like if you live like the world lives, you can have peace with the world. That's fine. But if you live in a way that honors Christ, if you're, living, if you're trying to live a holy life, if you're living life trying to represent God, you can't expect peace with the world. That's not how it works. John 16 verse 33 says, I have told you this thing, these things so that in me you may have peace. So he still offers his peace, but that's in him. That's almost referring back to that inner peace. Not saying, I'm going to give you peace in this world. In this world, you will have trouble. Like, look, look, what he, look what he just tells us right there. What is he promising? He's promising, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. God never promises us to have peace with the world. In fact, like I just said, Jesus actually promises the opposite. To be a child of God... That means you're going, you can expect to be an enemy of the world. That's how it works. Like if you're a child of God, you can expect to be an enemy of the world. Why? Because society and culture doesn't live according to God's standards. Like they don't even recognize God's standards. You know what I'm saying? You know, society and culture doesn't put God as a priority. And, and understandably, they don't, they don't follow God. So you can't expect them to follow God's standards when they don't even follow. Like they don't believe in him. They don't want to live with him. They don't call him his, you know, their king. Like they're not going to live by God's standards when they don't love God. Right. So of course, society and culture is going to look at you as an enemy when you're stepping into a scene and you're trying to be holy and you're trying to live right. And you're trying to represent God. And you're trying to walk in those parameters of holiness and say, I'm going to represent God. Even in this space, you can't expect to have peace in the world when you're doing that. You know, that doesn't mean you can hate the world back, right? Like, even if the world hates you, that doesn't give us the right to hate the world. Of course not. You know, our job is to be at peace with all people like we just read in Hebrews. But at the same time, we should know that we can't control all things. Like, we can't step into the world and expect it to, you know, make, make them love God. We, it's not going to happen that way. And we can't expect them to count us as friends when they hate the way we're living because we're representing God. You know, something that a lot of times we, we might make the mistake in doing is this. We think we can uh, have the world love us and love God at the same time. We make this mistake. We think that we can have both things going on at the same time where we can play both sides. It's like, let me show them that I'm a cool Christian. I'm going to be the cool Christian. You know, say, you know really idealist. I'm going to be, I'm going to be me. I'm going to, meanwhile, they hated Jesus, but I'm going to be the cool Christian. I'm going to show Jesus how to make them love. Like, think about what you're saying. They hated Jesus. Yet I'm going to be the one to make this cool where the world sees it. And they're like, oh, they love it too. Like you're thinking I can, I can live like the world in the name of Christ. Do you see how that doesn't even match? I can live like the world in the name of Christ. And as absurd as it sounds, so many of us, even like, even, even throughout our walk, like, so many of us have stumbled through that. As a matter of fact, you have to stumble through it. At some point, you have to decide, oh, I can't, I can't be of the world. At some point in your spiritual walk as you're growing, 
you wrestle with that. And then if you're going to keep growing, it's because you've decided, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't keep living the way I was living with my friends before. You know, I can't do that. I can't be that cool Christian that I wanted to be so that I can still have my old friends, let's say, and live the way we were living, but still be with Christ. You know, at some point, you're going to feel that tension. That's only natural. But eventually, you should realize it, it doesn't work that way. It's a false reality. It's promoting, it's not promoting peace, it's promoting a lie. If Jesus is your Lord, you don't have the right to live an unholy life. If you love Jesus, if you're a child of God, you don't have the right to live an unholy life. Jesus tells us that he overcame the world. And what he's doing there is he's reminding us that one day there will be peace with the world. You know, one day after Jesus returns, there will be a time where there's nothing but peace. Everything will be made new. And there will, there will be true world peace. But that's something that won't happen until after he returns. Until then, you can expect to be an enemy of the world. The fourth piece is peace with God. So Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more? Let me read that again. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So that's reminding us that we were enemies and we were reconciled through the death of Jesus. And in Romans 5 verse 1, I'm going back actually, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate peace that we can have, right, in Jesus. There are only two groups of people in this world. Like you're, you're either an enemy of God or you're a child of God. There's no in between. You're either an enemy of God or a child of God. That's what the scripture tells us right here. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through faith in, in it, through the death of his son. So afterwards, you became a child of God. You know, and, you know, the only, I'm sorry, the enemy of God is, I'm sorry, the enemy, there are enemies of God and there are children of God. The enemy is at war with him. The child is at peace with him. Those are the only two conditions you can really have. And this peace is received because of Jesus going on the cross. And it was a free peace. It was something you received freely. It's freely given, freely received, freely accepted. You know, it was unearned, undeserved. It wasn't anything that we did on our part. It was completely done by Jesus. That's the ultimate peace we could have because Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Like he's the prince of peace. He's the ultimate peacemaker. And yet so many people don't have it, even though it's being offered to them freely. So many people, you know, have been offered the greatest offer they can ever receive and yet haven't accepted it, which gets to the heart of what I think Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. As followers of Christ, our aim should be to help others make peace with God. No matter what, as followers of Christ, our aim is to help other people make peace with God. That's, that's something that should always be on our minds on a daily basis. Whenever you're interacting with people, somewhere in the back of your mind, somewhere deep in your heart, your thought should be trying to aim to make this person have peace with God. Making peace within yourself is important. Making peace with others is important, right, as you interact with them. Making peace with the world as far as you can while still being holy is important. 
But God is most glorified when our eyes are set on helping others make peace with him. And to do that doesn't mean we ignore the other kinds of peace. If anything, I think when we aim for the greatest peace, you catch the others in between. It's, it's kind of like football. Who, who saw the Super Bowl just a, you know, a couple Sundays ago? Or last, last Sunday was it? I'm already losing track. Last Sunday? You saw the Super Bowl, right? Think about it. The goal is to get to the end zone. So if your goal is only to get to the 40-yard line, that's great. But that's a short-sighted goal, right? If your goal is to get to the end zone, you're going to get the 40-yard line in between. So in the same way with peace, when you're aiming to bring other people to have peace with God, you're going to get the other peace in between. I'll give a, a story. I'll call this um, street parking struggles. Whoever laughed, you know, you live in Elizabeth, you've, you've dealt with this. Street parking struggles. Some of you are laughing too hard. Uh-oh. So I, I have a neighbor. All right. So I have a neighbor who can be difficult with street parking. He has multiple cars. And by the end of this, neighbor, if you listen, I don't think he's listening. I don't think he's hearing this in, in, in different language. But if you are listening, you'll see my heart by the end of it. So I hope, I hope you come to Jesus. <laughs> so he has multiple cars, multiple cars. And he purposely parks in such a way where he ruins parking for other people. Make matters worse. Ready? Everybody's going to get set at this. Make matters worse. He has a driveway. He has a driveway. So that's like, that should be against the law, right? That should be against but early on, I made the decision of not letting this become drama that I want to be a part of. Like, I, I don't, the last thing I want is to add to my day street parking drama. I don't, I don't want that. I don't. For so many reasons. Number one, I'm not going to change his mind. I'm not going to change his mind. I'm not going to change his habits. I can't control him. He's not doing anything illegal unless we change the law. So we're going we're gonna to have to try to figure that out. How do we change this law? But up until then, he's not doing anything illegal. He's not. So I can talk to him till my face turns blue. He's, he's going to keep on doing what, what he wants to do. And I get it. Like, all right, so be it. If this is so important to you, have it. You can park all your cars, buy 15 cars, and park them all in the street. Don't do that because we'll never have anywhere to park. I'm, I'm actually convinced there's one car he never uses. He just has to save spots. I really think that he does that. But my point is, like, I knew that was drama that I didn't want to be a part of. So, you know, I don't want to add that stress to myself, and I can't change his mind. But also, if I become an enemy of his over parking, how will I ever be able to speak to him of something of value? Like, if parking becomes something that actually makes us against each other, how can I ever speak to you about something that's actually important? I won't. I'll have zero authority to do it. And it's funny because whenever I do park in the spots that he wants, because I'm not going to stop parking where I want to park. Like, I'm just not going to go out of my way to try to do it in spite. So whenever I do park in a spot that he usually wants, he gets upset, right? And I still say hi to him, and I, and I, do, I do my thing, and... You know, I, I don't try to, I don't do anything extra. I just do what I would normally do. So there are times where he's still upset with me. I can't control that. But I don't want it to be that we can't talk about something of value. And we can't talk about Christ because of something on my part. Like if it never happens because he never wants to open up, like th that's life. Like I, all I can do is pray for you. But if it, hap if it never happens because I made parking something that makes us enemies, then I failed. Then my aim wasn't, to represent Christ. My aim wasn't to bring peace into the situation. My aim wasn't to help him find peace with God. So, you know, that's something that I try to be mindful of. 
I want to share a couple examples of what a peacemaker looks like to get a better idea of what Jesus is saying. You know, there are a few descriptions of what a peacemaker thinks or does. Um, so the first one I'll say is a peacemaker humbles him or herself. A peacemaker humbles him or herself. Uh, many years ago, Pastor Gary shared a message. And in the message, he was talking about marriage. And listen, if this is the only thing you got, you can give Pastor Gary credit. But if you only get this, this, this is a good nugget. He said in marriage, stop competing. Stop competing. Stop fighting. Stop competing. Um, and that stuck with me. I don't even think I was married yet, but that stuck with me. Once I became, once I got married, I realized, oh, that's what he's talking about. Like, I get it. <laughs> stop doing that. It's hard. I get it. You know, you can easily fall into a competition with your own spouse. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm touching a topic that's a little tense over here. So I'll try to be quick with it. But you can easily get into this, this topic of like this battle of competing with, with your spouse. I always do the dishes or I always cook or I, I always clean. You know, I always throw out the garbage or you can easily fall into a trap of comparing. You know, who brings in uh, more money? Who does more around the house? Who does more for the kids? And what Pastor Gary was saying here was, stop competing. We have to see marriage as being on the same team, not against each other. See, before you can ever have peace, you need to have humility. Before you ever have peace, you have to have humility. You know, you have to answer this question. Would you rather prove yourself right or would you rather have peace? You know, and often we fall into the trap of trying to prove ourselves right. Like often we find ourselves almost like we're in court trying to make our point. But at the end of the day, that's short-lived. That does nothing for you. You know, it doesn't do anything like peace does. And this is a question, by the way, just to step out of that example of marriage. This is something that you can ask yourself, not only for your spouse, but for family members, for friends, all kinds of different relationships. This is something that you can ask. Before peace comes humility. I'll get to the second point. A peacemaker aims for the deeper issue. So first, a peacemaker humbles himself or herself. Secondly, a peacemaker aims for the bigger issue. If someone asked, I'm sorry, Jesus did this all the time. If someone asked him a question, he would respond with a question. But the reason he did that was because he was trying to dig deeper into what was really going on in that person's heart. He did that all the time. You know, uh, he did this, he had this way of digging deeper and getting into the root of what that person was really wrestling with. Often an argument that you have superficially has nothing to do with what's really going on down below. Like think of a parent getting upset over spilled milk that the kids spilled, right? For me this week it was orange juice. Like imagine like getting upset over something that was spilled in the house. But what you're really upset is you're really upset about what happened at work that day. That's really what it is. Like a lot of times our arguments are way deep. Like the, the real argument or the real thing that's, that's making you upset is much deeper than a superficial thing. Like, have you ever heard an argument and you're like, wait, why are we arguing about this? Why are we arguing about, look, everybody's nodding their heads and it's mostly guys. What's up with this? Why are we arguing about this? So listen, pay attention. Either you're causing an argument because you're really upset about something else or step back and realize the other person's upset about something else and you need to catch that. You need to realize we're arguing about this, but you're not really upset about this. So let me ignore that. That's not the real issue here. A peacemaker aims for the deeper issue. Jesus did that all the time. A quick example, a rich young man comes up to Jesus one day and he asks him what he needs to do to get into heaven. And Jesus being Jesus asks him a question. 
But he did that because he's trying to clarify. He's trying to get to the point of what you're really asking me. What are you really wrestling with? And Jesus already knew. And when G- uh, Jesus responds to him eventually, and he, what he knew was the young man loved money more than he loved God. A lot of times people read this and think, oh, Jesus is saying everybody has to be, like, everybody has to give away all their money. They, you know, they can't have money. No, this person in particular just loved money more than he loved God. And when Jesus brought that up, he left, he walked away sad. Why did he walk away sad? Because Jesus got to the heart of the matter. He dug deeper than what the question really was. And walking away sad proved the point that he really loved God more than he He didn't have a problem following the Ten Commandments. But the moment Jesus challenged his money, he walked away sad. If we're to be peacemakers, we have to aim for the deeper level. You know, and... An example of this for us is like some, sometimes when someone is being hurtful, you have to remember, hurt people, hurt people, right? That, I, I didn't coin that phrase. I like guess old as, I don't know how old is dirt. Hurt people, hurt people. But a lot of times we forget that. So if a person is bitter inside, you can only expect for them to spit out bitterness. And that doesn't make the situation right. That doesn't make it right for them to treat you poorly. But I bet if we had that in our minds, that would help us in our approach to bringing peace into the situation. Because it would, it would almost be like a chess, like someone's playing, two people are playing chess, and you're on a, you have this uh, side perspective, and you're, you see things that they don't see. When you remember stuff like that, you, it's like you stepping out, and you're like, all right, I see something that you don't even realize. Your bitterness is being spat out because you're bitter on the inside. Let me find a way to address that in a different approach. Thirdly, a peacemaker makes peace their priority over everything else. You know, when talking about humility, I asked the question, would you rather prove yourself right or have peace? And the question is fitting here too. There are times when you know you're, about, you're right about something, but defending yourself does absolutely nothing for you. Like it'll be a short-lived um, victory if you just try to defend that you're right. I have a few different examples that I think really speak to this. The first one is MLK. Like Martin Luther King, when, when, when he was um, obviously like leading or one of the leaders of the civil rights movement, you know, their vision was very clear. You know, he had a vision of responding to injustice by promoting peace. African-Americans had every right to be upset, and they probably had the right to even react violently because they were being treated with violence, right? The natural response would have been to fight back and react in violence. However, the vision was clear to respond with nonviolence. Proving a point wasn't the ultimate goal. What was the ultimate goal? Peace. Peace was the ultimate goal. And it came at a price, but it reached much further than any other approach would have. In order for things to change, check this out. In order for things to change, America had to see how ugly and evil segregation really was and how it was rooted in hatred. In order for them to get that message, they had to see how ugly it was, not just by someone proving a point, but by peace being brought into the situation. Do you notice how peace actually made the point? Not trying to prove the point to lead to peace. Peace made the point. And there are a couple other examples that I feel like really drive this, this message here. Jackie Robinson, the first black player to successfully integrate into Major League Baseball. It was in the late 1940s. If you've ever seen, if you haven't seen the movie, you need to check it out. It's called 42. It's a great movie. And my favorite part of the movie, I'm, I don't know if everyone agrees with me, but th- there's a quote in that movie that I feel like sums it up perfectly between Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey was the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, 
He was the man who decided to sign Jackie Robinson and have him play for the team. And Branch Rickey's explaining to Jackie that this could only work if he didn't allow the racist acts and words to cause him to react negatively. Like he basically told him, you have to calm down. <laughs> you can't do anything crazy. And Jackie responded to him. This is a quote from the conversation. Jackie responded and said, you want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? Like, that's what you want? You want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? And Branch Ricky responded. He said, no, no. I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. That was so important. I love that line from Branch Ricky because we all know that's exactly what it took for Jackie Robinson in order to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Fighting back with words or violence would have never solved the problem. Not fighting back forced players and managers and fans and people across the country to see how ugly their racism towards Jackie Robinson really was. It was like a mirror that allowed them to see their own ugliness on the inside. And that would have never happened if Jackie didn't respond with peace. And of course, the third example, the most, the greatest example of all, is our Lord Jesus. Because of sin, God had the right to send the angels down and destroy earth. He had that right, but he didn't. What did he do? He sent down his son to restore earth. He could have destroyed, instead he chose to, I'm sorry, he could have destroyed, instead he chose to restore. And Jesus came down to earth to restore peace with God. He's the ultimate peacemaker. He could have come down and spent 100 years talking to people about why he's right. I mean, that's what the prophets did. <laughs> they proved God's righteousness. You know, they were proving God's, uh, God's truth. That's what the Old Testament did. That's what the law did. The law, right? Well, that was the whole point of the law, to point out that we're sinners. Jesus could have done the same thing. But for Jesus, peace was the solution. Instead, although the law already proved God right, the law was never going to save any souls. So Jesus, an innocent human being, that's what it took, an innocent human being to die on a cross and die in our place for us to be able to look at sin and realize how ugly it is. Just like peace was the answer for the civil rights movement and peace was the answer for integration in Major League Baseball, peace is the, was the answer for our sin problem. An innocent Jesus had to get stained with our sins for us to see how ugly it really was. We would have never seen it in ourselves. You know, that forced mankind to see the ugliness of sin. Jesus made peace his priority. I'll end it with two little points here. A peacemaker aims for peace even when it's the hard thing to do. I might have tricked you. It's not too little because this is a big one here. A peacemaker does, aims for peace even when it's the hard thing to do. It sounds similar to the last point, but I want to explain a different example here. There are two extremes to this. A peacemaker, I'm sorry, forgive me. The two extremes are some people find it very easy to speak the truth. Some people have it, find it very easy to speak the truth. You know, some of us have no problems speaking. It's easy for you. However, you might say what you think without being careful of how it lands. You know, if you catch yourself saying things like this, I'm speaking the truth no matter what, no matter what, I tell it like it is. Like, I'm a truth teller. If you catch yourself saying something like that, like, you, you probably lean that way. For some people, it's easy to speak the truth, and it's important to do. But if you're not conscious of how it lands on people, if you're not conscious of, of like, what's going to happen afterwards, it's like using truth as a grenade. You throw it, and then you just take a step back and let it explode on people. 
And that's not handling truth with peace, like seeking peace. That's using truth as a weapon. That's like, that's like opening up a deep wound, but not letting it he- helping it heal. A peacemaker would take truth and see it through to help someone heal, to actually bring resolution to the, to the situation. That's what a peacemaker would do. But then the opposite is also true. Some people find it really easy to be quiet, to not speak up. And that's just as dangerous. See, speaking the truth has borne a lot of hurt in people because of doing it in a bad way. But not speaking the truth has also hurt a lot of of people because there have been plenty of times where someone has to stand up for other people and they got hurt because no one stood up. So not speaking the truth in the name of peace, in other words, staying quiet is also very hurtful. And you have to be careful with that as well. Avoiding problems is not the same as making peace. And the last one is this. A peacemaker shares the truth of Jesus with others. Um, Romans 10 verse 15 says, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And 2 Corinthians says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that sums up what Jesus is saying. As peacemakers, we have this ministry of reconciliation. A couple weeks ago, I'm getting ready for work in the morning and I'm listening to some worship and uh, a song from Maverick City pops up. And all of a sudden, somebody comes into my heart. It's someone that I'm going to see at work that day. And I remembered of a small window of opportunity that opened up in a previous conversation. There was like a small window that popped up and I realized, oh, wow, I can speak to this person about God. So at that moment, I start praying and I'm like, God, how can I approach this? And it came, you know, you put it in my heart and I was like, all right, I'm just going to ask him if he's ever heard of Maverick City. So we're at work and sure enough, the situation pops up and I ask him, I say, hey, have you ever heard of Maverick City? And he looks at me and he says, yeah, I've heard of them. And I was shocked. I wasn't expecting that. He was like, I don't really, I, I never heard their music, but I know of them. I've heard of them. And as we're talking, little, you know, little did I know, we, I start finding out he used to listen to gospel music all the time. He grew up in the church, like his whole life he was growing up in church. So I was amazed by that. But then he tells me, you know, I haven't been to church in over 10 years. I haven't gone to church in 10 years. And that, that threw me off, obviously, right? If you grew up in the church, and now for the last 10 years you haven't gone to church, you know, obviously there's a disconnect. And then he says, but you know, I spent my whole life in church, so I earned the right to uh, take a break for 10 years. And I was like, this is my opportunity to say something. I, I can't drop the ball right. I got to say something right here. And I look at him and say, hey, you can't take a break from God. And he looks at me and says, no, 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 no. I didn't take a break from God. I took a break from the church. And I told him, I said, well, the church is the body of God. You can't take a break from the church. And then I say, go back to church. Just go back. Go back to church. The conversation faded. It ended there. And um, that was a Friday. I get a, a message that Monday. Some, someone else at work letting me know that person doesn't work there anymore. Like, he doesn't work here in Elizabeth anymore, right? He doesn't live around this area. Like, he lives really far away. I'll never see this person again. I know I'm never going to see this person again, for a fact. And it made me think, like, first, it made me praise God. I was like, thank you, God, for letting me see that little window and allowing me to be a part of just saying something to him at that moment. But then it also made me think, 
what if I would have missed that little window? What if I would have never spoken to this person about God at that moment? And it's, it's such a simple way too. I didn't, I didn't even you know, say too much, but it's such a simple way. You know, I'll never know if he goes back to church or not, but I can trust that God is setting it up for other people to start speaking to him about, you know, and then once the second person tells you go back to church, you'll probably start getting the message like, oh, I need to go back to church or something. You know, you never know. But what if I would have missed that opportunity? You know, I would have never had the chance to do it again. So even now as we close, I'd like everyone to just bow their heads because, you know, that, to me, that's just a reminder of aiming for peace, you know, aiming for being a part of what God is doing, the Beatitudes uh, describe what a disciple of Christ looks like. And even now, as we just close our eyes and, you know, just kind of reflect for a moment, these Beatitudes should encourage believers to be aligned with God's will. Because that's what Jesus is describing. He's describing a person that is aligned with God's will. Someone who's a part of the family business. See, if you're a follower of Christ, that means God is your father. Jesus is your big brother. (laughs) Our father has a business and his business is to glorify his name. And what God does is he allows people to become partners in his business. And there's a contract and that contract is written by the blood of Jesus. So what that contract does is it makes you a, 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 not only a partner, it makes you a child of God, brings you into the business. But now you have a responsibility to be a part of your father's business here on earth, which is bringing glory to his name. And one way we do that is by being peacemakers. So my question is, are you a peacemaker? You know, do situations end up more peaceful with you or without you? Do you humble yourself for the sake of peace? Do you aim for the deeper issue? Do you make peace your priority over everything else? Do you aim for peace even when it's the hard thing to do? Do you share the truth of Jesus with others? So I'm going to pray now. But I want you to think of two things. First, are you a child of God? Like, is God your father? Have you accepted peace with God that's offered by Jesus on the cross? If you haven't, my prayer is right now, speak to Jesus and tell him, Jesus, I want you to be my king. Heavenly Father, I want you to be my father. I want to be your child. I want to be a child of God. I recognize my sin on that cross. I see it. I see what you did for me. I want a part of that peace that you offer me. But secondly, if you are a child of God, God, are you a part of your father's business and promoting peace in this world? Are you a part of your father's business and promoting peace into other people's lives and helping other people become children of God as well? Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us be peacemakers. When we accept you, Lord, we know that we become children of God. I pray, Lord, that all of our hearts are touched by you, that we may recognize the fact that we are your children when we love you. And if we're children, we have a responsibility to do what you ask of us to do, to live holy and to promote peace. I pray, God, that even now when you touch our hearts, to think of the people that we can be reaching out to and helping promote peace in their lives and bringing peace between them and you. Show us, Lord, if there's any animosity or any, any enmity between us and other people that we might not be representing you the way we should be, Lord. Help us correct that by forgiving or asking for forgiveness, by speaking truth, but also following through and helping people heal, not using truth as a weapon, but as a tool to reach peace. I pray, God, 
that we make it a way in our lives that we are peacemakers representing you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy your Sunday. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.